Praise the Lord, everyone. Oh, come on. Praise the Lord, everyone. There we go. God is good. Thank you for joining us online. We are at Pineview Church, and I wish you were here tonight. But let's just ask the Lord to be with us tonight. Most of all, let's ask God to just settle our hearts in. Let us be calm from the storms that are in our life. Let us be calmed from all of the situations that are going on. If you're at home and you still have your TV on, I'm going to ask that you turn it off if you're not watching it on uh, here. I'm asking that you turn CNN off or Fox News because I'm going to tell you it's the Word of God that's going to keep you sane and in, in control in this hour. It's the Word of God that's going to help you be sturdy and know who you are in Christ during these hours. We are on the brink of war. We are in war. And we cannot let our fears overtake us. Faith. Everybody shout faith. Faith, faith is what we got to live by, not our feelings. Uh, today I sat and uh, if I'm not careful, I watch as they, they dig mass graves. And I watch as they carry uh, children out. And, and it just, it, uh, it just, uh, it just makes me sick. And it turns my stomach and it makes me upset and makes my blood pressure go up. And uh, I have to turn it over to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Pastor Alex uh, sends his love. And I know that they're so thankful for what we have done and are doing. Uh, we've sent about $3,500 to, uh, to Ukraine in the last couple weeks. And uh, they're amazed by our love. Um, and I told them it's God's love in us because he first loved us. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. It is everlasting. Lord, we give you honor and glory for all those that are visiting us online. Lord, all those that are wanting to be a part and be connected. Father, we ask that you keep us all safe from COVID and all that is going on. We ask that you settle our minds in the Holy Ghost and you let us walk not by fear, but by faith. That, Lord, you allow us to know that you're in control and nothing happens without your permission. I give you honor and glory today, Father. I thank you for your word. It is everlasting. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. And let everybody say amen. amen. All right, we have a lot of cover uh, tonight. So a quick review. Last week we started on what? Salvation for all. Everybody say it with me. Salvation for all. We established that number one, salvation is for all. Every human that ever walked or will walk on this earth is eligible for the blood of Christ to cover them and forgive their sins. Amen? Amen. We also talked about why do we need a Savior. We talked about how that all have saved sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And that's not something we should run around and, and, and oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a, no, no, I'm a sinner. Own it because I know the, the solver of my sin. I know the ability to go before the throne of grace in the time of trouble and say, I know I'm a sinner, but I have a savior that will save me when I turn my life over and I obey him and all that he is asking me to do. Amen? Amen. So sin is not something that we should be fearful of because the blood of Christ is stronger than any sin. Someone say amen. amen. It's stronger than any sin that happens in the lives of men and women, uh, uh, no matter where they're at. So tonight, we're going to move on to the next part. Last week, we read that first passage in, in Acts 16 and 30 that says, and he brought them out. This is the jailer. If you remember the story of Paul and Silas in jail, and they sang and they worshiped, and the earthquake came, and the jailer was going to be held responsible if they all escaped. 
escaped. And Paul, he was fixing to harm himself, the scripture says. Uh, take his own life. And Paul cried out, hey, don't, stop, stop, we're all here. And he got to go and share the gospel of Jesus with him. And the Bible says that he asked him this question. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Someone say that with me. What must I do to be saved? When you're talking to people who you know need Jesus. Now listen, salvation is something that we must understand in our own lives before we can share it with others. This is why I'm so emphatic about teaching this series because I want you and you online to begin to talk to, talk to others about your salvation and about the salvation that Christ has for them. If you don't know and believe and are convicted that you need a Savior, you'll never share your story. You'll never share the gospel. You'll never share about Jesus and what he can do if you don't believe that you need a Savior. How about you? I know I need a Savior. Amen? And in that salvation, we find hope. We also understand that the people that we're dealing with in this world, most of them don't believe in a heaven or a hell. We are finding that statistically in our society as we have moved forward in the postmodern era that people simply do not believe that there is a judgment, that there is a requirement that God is absolute. And, and we are fighting against that spirit that says, eh, whatever. And, uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do my thing, you do your thing, and, and we're good people, so we'll go to heaven. That's a dangerous thought process. You should always be wise as a serpent. Everybody say amen. amen. Harmless as a dove. You should never shove your gospel or Jesus' gospel or your experience down somebody else's throat. Everything must be done through what? Love. Everybody shout love. love. We must operate in the spirit of love, showing people Christ by how we love them. Jesus said, this is how I'm going to know and the world is going to know that you're my disciple, how you love one another. Not how good at your quoting scripture, not at how much uh, you, you uh, can, can put to memory. No, it's not what it's about. It's about do you love. So we're going to talk about that tonight, about how that faith requires obedience. And that's going to be a part of our conversation tonight. So last week we learned why we need a Savior. This week we'll discover what to do to be saved. So I'm going to take my time through this process. And so at the end of every lesson, you won't find the completion. You must tune in to find the completion of the story. It's like listening to a CD and only hearing one chapter. And you know there's another chapter, but you're not sure what it says, right? So you're going to have to tune in weekly because I'm not going to take time to wrap everything up every single week, right? So I'm going to allow you to tune in. And that way you know. So if you're online, tune in next week. If you missed last week, go back. It's going to be good. So what must I do to be saved? The infamous question that is so important to all of us. I want to know what must I do to be saved. So let's look at Mark 1 and 14. Mark 1 and 14. In the New King James, I have it here. And let me read it to you. Uh, this is uh, the recording Mark writing in the Gospels. He says this. Now after John, John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the what? Gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What does he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Say that with me. 
repent and believe in the gospel. So the key here is understanding Jesus in this chapter, before he passed on the cross, here in chapter 14 of Mark, he is telling them, you must repent and you must believe. So there's two things that must happen, we know from the words. But he doesn't tell them the rest of the story here in Mark. There's more to come in the book of Acts. But he begins to prepare their hearts for repentance. John the Baptist, his vision and his total mission on planet Earth was to get people to repent. His ministry was unto repentance. His baptism was unto repentance. You cannot get people into salvation if they never fully repent. You can get them to check the list, but you can never say or understand that they have fulfilled the call of God through repentance. That I must be sorry for my sins. I must want to truly turn my heart from that way to his way. Someone say amen. amen. So I as a pastor am very careful when I am talking to people about their salvation experience. Why? Because it's not as simple as a couple verses in the scripture. It is about the turning of a spirit, a heart, an attitude. It's about the turning of a soul. It's about Jesus preparing their hearts for what he has for them to come. Here, Mark 1 and chapter 14. Um, think about it. He's preparing them for what is to come. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We can go on and find that we must believe. Or shout, we must believe. Uh, we must believe. Believing, having faith in Jesus Christ is not something we can waver about or optional. It's not something that is debated. Faith in Christ is the essence. It is the absoluteness of our salvation experience. The reason we have faith and believe in Jesus is because Jesus came fulfilled the law, paid the price of sin, and now I am redeemed by his sacrifice on Calvary. So if I don't believe that Jesus did these things, I'll never be able to experience the continuation of salvation that he talks about in the book of Acts and Paul writes about in his, in his different writings. So we must emphasize, do you believe? couple months, well, this has been maybe last year now, but um, there was an individual that came and they wanted to be baptized. And I asked them this question, this very question that I posed to you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your savior and that you are a sinner and that you need him and that he is the only one that can save you by his blood and sacrifice on Calvary? Do you believe that? And they literally said to me, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. Right? So before I would baptize them, I literally sat them down in a chair and I did a 40 minute Bible study about faith in Christ and the requirement of if I'm baptizing you and you have no faith, you're just getting all wet. There's no promise attached to that because you cannot have obedience and ignorance. Obedience must be rooted in faith, faith, faith. Obedience without faith is not the faith that we have in Christ. You can have obedience, but it's just that. Yeah. What faith are you? When you, when you look at faith in that sense, then you realize there's something that you believe versus what some, somebody else might believe. So your faith, and, and it's a very individual the faith. The position is the Bible. Right. What we believe 
I'm going to get there, Carl. Don't get ahead of me. I'm teaching the Bible study tonight, just so you know. Uh, well, I'm glad you did. You're way ahead of me. Um, so uh, Mark 16 and 15, I love you, Elder. Um, this is Jesus speaking, Mark 16. Now, we just read in Mark chapter 1, right? Now we're going to go to chapter 16. This is what he says, Jesus speaking. And he said to them, go into all the world, right? This is a familiar passage. And preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes, there's that word again, believes. That's the word for action word for faith. If you want to know what the word believe literally is, it is when you have faith and it puts you into action. Believing is not stationary. Let me say that again. Believing is not stationary because faith is not stationary. I give this example often, but when I came in here tonight, I went back and there was a button that I pushed that turned all these lights on. I didn't think twice about it. I reached over, got the mouse, and clicked the button. Now, there have been times that I've clicked that button and nothing happened. <laughs> and it leaves me very frustrated. <laughs> but in general, I always have faith. And in my faith, it makes me believe. And in my believing, it makes me move my hand to the mouse and click the button. I get in my car in the morning. I stick my key in and turn it without even thinking. But when it doesn't turn and doesn't start, now we have a problem, right? So in our lives, it's the same. Faith without movement is just sitting there. It's not faith. Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. So if I put my key in the ignition and I never turn it, and my boss calls and says, hey, you're late for work. Well, I'm in my car. I've put the key in. I just can't get it to start. You didn't turn it. You got to exercise your faith to believe that when I turn it, it's going to start. So there's action. Believing is action. Say that with me. Believing is action. It's not inaction. Faith is not stationary. Faith is not saying, well, I'm just going to stand here and, and, and by faith, it's all going to happen. No, God never said that we can sit still and have faith. Faith, faith, real faith, faith in Christ will always demand movement in our lives. So when we're talking about salvation, it's no different. Salvation is not stationary. It is something we do every day. It's something we walk in every day. Salvation is not a checklist on your phone. Yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. I'm all set. It's not in any way, shape, or form. We do not believe, nor does the Bible teach in once saved, always saved. We know that we are continually saved by the grace that God so richly gives us. When we walk away from Christ, we cease to be saved in that moment. It doesn't mean that we can't be saved. It doesn't mean that Christ quit loving us. It means that sin came and separated our eternal from our, uh, uh, from our, our spiritual and eternal from our flesh. So when we are in this place of learning about salvation, we must always remember that salvation I'm talking about is eternal, not temporal. It's something that when I sin, I am separated from God. He still hears my prayers. Come on now. He still answers my prayers. He still has promises I'm eligible for, but I'm no longer in a marriage relationship. I'm now back to dating. I'm now back to being his friend. And that's a great place to be, but it's not the place he's called you to be. He wants you to be his bride. He wants you to be intimate. He wants you, and sin will separate that intimacy 
from your lives. You'll feel disconnected. I just don't feel God like I used to feel Him. There's a check in your spirit. There's sin in your life maybe you don't even know you have. How many know that we sin and there are many times we have no idea that we're sinning, right? We get reminded three weeks later that, oh man, I did that. Man, I didn't mean, wow. I, and God convicts our hearts. We ask for his forgiveness. Well, pastor, was I, was I lost during that couple of weeks? Not whatsoever. You are saved by what? Grace through faith. So your intent, your heart dictates your salvation. Someone say amen. amen. So God is helping us to understand this. And when you're talking to people, they always wonder, so do I have to be perfect? Do I have to like get all my stuff together? And man, I have it. I got to get, man, no. Everybody shout no. no. No, God helps you through that. He helps you get to the place of perfection, not by your work of righteousness, but by his work of righteousness on Calvary. So we live to our best ability. We do our very best. And God says, when you've done your best, according to the knowledge you have been given, and you are obeying my word to the best of your ability, I'll fill in the rest of the gap in your life by grace. Because that's the beauty of what he purchased for us on Calvary. The grace that we walk in. It's not, <laughs> it's not by my works. I'm a rotten sinner. It's by the work of Christ and me believing in the gospel that says he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him and with his stripes I am healed. There's a beauty in that gospel. Someone say amen. amen. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Every, he who believes and is baptized. Now, I, I want to, we're going to deal in two weeks, we're going to deal with baptism. Um, we're going to spend the whole night talking about baptism, the root of baptism, the reason for baptism, the, 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 the formula of baptism, how we should be baptized. What does it mean? How does it affect others? We're going to go very in-depth on baptism in a couple weeks. Next week, we're going to go in-depth on repentance. You don't want to miss that, right? We're going to look at, everybody thinks, well, I just, you know, I say a little prayer about, no, no, no. It's not about lip service. Repentance is about the heart, about changing your direction. So we're going to talk about that. But today, we must believe. Let's shout, we must believe. We must believe. So he who believes and is baptized. If somebody tells you that baptism is a work, it's not true. You're obeying the command of Christ. Right here, Jesus says you need to be baptized. So that's why we baptize. Will be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, I'm not going to ask, because I know the answer, but I'm going to make a statement here. This is not the completion of salvation. Although Jesus is speaking it in Mark, he tells two parts of what's going on in our salvation experience. Why? Because he's pre he was prepping them. Do you hear me? In chapter 1, if you believe, right? If you believe, if you understand, you've got to have faith. You have the gospel. And now he's saying, if you believe and are baptized, he's giving them keys to what will happen in their life. Jesus himself never pressed all of it into one little verse or one little donut and say, shove it. Here it is. No, he walked with them. The disciples were with him for three and a half years before they got the Holy Ghost. Before they were baptized. Before they understood full repentance. Don't you think about that? They were with Jesus Christ. 
And his requirement was that they learn and walk in the learning and the thing he was trying to teach. And then he gave revelation. Because when the revelation came, they could fully receive it because they had been prepared for it. The same with the Acts 19 story when we encounter the disciples of John the Baptist. They say, we haven't even heard there be a Holy Ghost. Have you, have, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? We know they were believers because... It's stated, Paul says right there, you're a believer, but have you, have you continued your obedience in the word of God? So many times in, in my life and in yours, we've been brought to a place where we think that everything has to be done in this little frame. That if you don't do X, Y, and Z in this frame, then you're really, you know, we're not sure about you. You know, people work out their own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. It's a fearful thing. It's a trembling thing because you are in such awe of God's presence, his forgiveness, and his ability to be holy. I don't know about you, but I'm not holy by my own works. I'm holy by his righteous work. And that's a big deal for me because I often don't feel worthy of his love or his grace. Can I get an amen from anybody? But I have to obey the word and know assuredly that the word is more powerful than my brain. That I truly am loved and I truly am saved and I truly am bought by the blood of Christ. Not because of Nate Nix, but because of Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. amen. I hope I'm helping you tonight. So be baptized and you will be saved. But he that does not believe, so this is the emphasis of the passage, will be what condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. So he says, some things will happen in your life when you are a believer. Believing in action will show the result. You stick the key in the car, you turn it, the car starts, you drive it down the road. There is evidence that the car has started. The tailpipe smokes. The car rumbles. You feel heat. There's evidences of that in your life. Well, so it is with the Spirit. When you believe... You will begin to see the signs or the evidence of God working in your life. You will begin to be convicted about things that never bothered you before. You'll be able to see things you never saw before. God's word will become alive to you in ways that you never knew you desired it even. So we find that he says, if you are, uh, do not believe or have faith in action... You will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, he says, they will cast out demons. They will speak with a new tongue. There is a command here that says there's evidence. If I say that, evidence to the, the Holy Spirit in my life. There's evidence to my believing. There's evidence to my baptism. A lot of people come and are baptized because they think, based on what they've read or heard, um, that, that that's their public confession, that that's what that's for. And tell everybody, I'm a Christian. And that's not what the scripture says. I just read it to you that Jesus says, he who believe and is baptized. This is not an option. This is a command. This is not something I'm doing for you or you or you or you. I'm doing this because he commanded me to do it. If I was alone in the desert, I'd dig a trench and pour bottles of water and, and, and baptize myself if this revelation came to me. Why? Because he that believe and is baptized will be saved. Baptism is a part of your salvation. And we're going to talk at length about that in a couple weeks. I'm excited about that. These signs shall follow them that believe. So you're going to have things that happen in your life. And one of them is that you're going to be able to have victory over demonic things that try to attack your life. 
You're going to have victory over things that you could not have, addictions and things that have bothered you. You're going to be able to have that victory. Also, you will speak with new tongues. This is a promise. I'm going to say promise. We're going to talk more about that in about four weeks, about uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in filling. Um, I'll give you something to chew on, right? Uh, just for a second here, um, that I was writing today for the lesson then, and that is that... Uh, speaking in tongues is not the only evidence of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the real evidence. Why don't you hear me real closely? I know people that speak in tongues that have no fruit of the Spirit because they've checked a list by the promises of God, but they failed to live in the faith of God. So therefore... They check a list in their life. Well, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. And God's calling, look, I don't want you to check a list. I want you to fall in love with me. I want to have a relationship. So in our lives, if we're not careful, we'll go through the motion of church. We'll go through the motion of Christianity instead of going through the heart of God and hearing what he wants from us. So we know that these signs shall follow them, right? And we can go on in, into verse 18, 19. It talks about these new tongues, etc. We'll talk about that in a little while. So we must believe and have faith in Christ. Romans 1 and 6, uh, 1 and 16. Let's, let's read this together. For I am not ashamed, Paul wrote. How many are thankful that Paul was not ashamed? Amen. Amen. I am not ashamed of the what? Gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Not the gospel of Paul. The gospel of Christ. For it is the power, I want you to place this properly, contextually, the gospel is power of God unto salvation. No gospel, no salvation. It's the power that allows you to receive this salvation, the gospel, the gospel. Someone say the gospel. And for those that are, are, are wanting more, I'm going to give you a little bit more about this gospel. It's the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So it's for everyone. Everybody shout everyone. everyone. So we understand from this writing in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. And by the way, if you read this entire chapter of Romans 1, you'll see the point of view which Paul was writing. Paul is writing. He just gave a dissertation of every sin you could think about in Romans chapter 1. He lists them extensively, but yet he is saying, I'm not ashamed, right? Because the power, sin abound, but grace shall much more abound. Mercy shall much more abound. Salvation is for all. So salvation is not predicated on me getting rid of all the sin in my life. It's predicated on me asking forgiveness for all the sin in my life. You can't get good to get God. You've got to get God to get good, right? So that's that concept. So we understand that the gospel of Christ is the power. I say power. It's the power of God. So we must look at and understand that, that gospel. So let's look at what the gospel is, right? And I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 because um, it, it's very plain and simple here. Jesus has ascended. The apostles have waited. They've been in the upper room in Acts 1. 
We know at the beginning of Acts 2 that they were endued with power and the Holy Ghost was set upon all of them and it filled the house where they were sitting and they spoke in tongues as cloven fire and it set upon each of them. We know that, right? But let me hear you, uh, let, me, let me talk to you out of what Peter now is standing before a bunch of people who did not know who Jesus was. I'm trying to get you in front of people who do not understand who Jesus is. And this was Peter's first message. This was the first message of the gospel. This was the first time that the gospel was ever preached. And here's what he said. Watch closely and you'll discover the gospel. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him. The purpose for miracles, signs, or wonders are not for us. They are for the, for the lost to see that Jesus is who he says he is. Don't you think about that? Anyway. Did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and have what? Crucified and put to death. This Jesus, you took him and you crucified him and put to death. Everybody say death. In order for sin to be removed, in order for the sacrifice to be accepted, death must come. Christ came, was born in the shadow of a cross. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. The will of the Father was that he would be a propitiation or stand in our place for our sin. That sin would invade him and he would give total sacrifice. Not that he was a sinner, but he carried the weight of sin of all mankind. We know that it was in his death that he fulfilled the prophecies of old. That he fulfilled the, the promise of the Messiah. And here he preaches. The hands that you have, you crucified and put to... But verse 24 says, whom God raised up. <laughs> yes, he died, but he rose again. Someone shout, he rose again. We're coming up to Easter and we're going to be talking about this on Good Friday. And we're going to be preaching about this on... Uh, on, on Easter Sunday. I, I can't wait to talk about rise up. I, that's my theme this year. It's time for us to, to as he did in resurrection, for we ourselves to get the, a hold of the spirit of the resurrection and rise up in our lives. There's a moment here where we understand that God did not just allow his son to be crucified, but he rose or raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He goes on in verse 32 and says, This Jesus, everybody shout Jesus. Jesus. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we all are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. He goes on in verse 36 and says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both what? Lord and Christ. I and my Father are one. Lord and Christ. <laughs> now then, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles the same thing that the Philippian jailer said. Men and brethren, what shall we do? So we look at this and he 
encapsulates in this first message the entirety of the gospel. The death, the the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We learn in this short message that Jesus came. He died for my sins. He rose again by the will of the Father. And in that... He sets the right hand of the Father, and he what has been given the Holy Spirit. Here's spirits being poured out. It's in this moment that we learn that we must also say, what shall we do? What shall we do? The, the words, what shall we do, should be on the lips of every person on this planet, knowing that they need Jesus. It is the place you want to get people to in your friendships. And in your relationships, people you love and care about, their eternal destiny. You want to give them salt in their oats to make them want to know more about Jesus. If you go home and talk about all the disappointments you have in Jesus, they're not going to be very convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. We must speak as he is, not as how we feel. Someone say amen. amen. Our feelings are liars. We must live in faith. So what does he say? What must we do? Now, then Peter says in verse 38 of chapter 2, says unto them, repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. So we know that they had faith, right? Because they're at a place of repentance. So you must have faith. Everybody say faith. You must believe the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means. Not just the fact that he was dead and buried and raised, but what does it mean? What did he purchase? What did he give? Right? He shed his blood for your blood and mine. So, and let every one of you, everybody say everyone, everyone. be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the what? Remission of sins. You've repented, now be baptized to remove all remembrance of the things you repented of. To remove them as far as the east is from the west. To remove them. To, the word re- remittance means literally eradicate. To eradicate our sin. You don't cover them up. You may remember your sin, but God refuses. Think about this. The God that knows everything refuses to remember our sin. I want you to think about that. He in his own covenant with himself by the blood of Christ says, it's under the blood of Jesus. I will not look at it any longer because it has been removed by the promise of my own name. The name of Jesus. Powerful stuff. So understand, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's say you will receive. receive. Now, in our tradition, in in our lives, sometimes we think that this verse, verse 38, is the gospel. Everybody say, no, it's not. (laughs) It's not the gospel. It is the result of understanding the gospel, believing the gospel. It is the result of the knowledge of what the gospel is in my life and what's its promise. And then that promise comes in the form of me obeying. And now that I have faith and I've repented, I have a promise of salvation. It's powerful. So we look and see that Verse 38 is also sometimes viewed as it must happen in a, you know, it has like on our checks, it says good for 90 days. You know, (laughs) uh, we in our lives sometimes look at this chapter and verse as it's got to happen all at once, or it's got to happen within six months, or it's got to happen within three days or no, no, there's, there, there, there is, this is between, listen, hear me clearly. 
That's why we call him a personal savior. That's why he deals with us individually on our own terms, in our own stuff. That's why he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because what you've gone through and what I've gone through, what you've experienced and what I've experienced, what I struggle with and what you struggle with are totally different. I'm a unique creature in Christ. And so my salvation must be worked out through obedience of the word of God in him. So... I have a young lady and, uh, that I've been working with, and she's been seeking the Holy Ghost uh, for about, I don't know, six months uh, or so. A couple, uh, one Sunday she came up and I preached a message about salvation and giving your life and heart. And she had come and she is such a beautiful soul. And uh, she said, Pastor, I want to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And I said, "That's um, amen, that's awesome. And I walked her through repentance to make sure she had her heart right with God. And I walked her through things and she cried and she prayed and she cried and she prayed. And she was up there for about 20 minutes and, and she got weary and tired and, and she was like, okay, well, I'll try later. And I was like, I received that, right? Because I got to let her work out her own salvation, right? So I encouraged her. I loved her. Later on, I came, she's crying, Pastor, I, I cannot talk in tongues, I cannot talk in tongues. And the Lord said to me, make sure she understands that she's not seeking tongues, she's seeking the gift of my spirit. And so I began to talk to her and understand, by, listen to me carefully, by grace are you saved through faith. In, in the seeking, seek him and you will find him. There's a promise that goes with this passage. There's a promise that goes with the word of God, with this grace that has been given to us. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, no, we've got to get rid of the sin in our life. But someone that is seeking God on a daily basis, trying to figure out what's going on with their gift, why they can't overcome that barrier. Is it self? Is it sin? Is it embarrassment? Is it fear? What is it? Working with them. Do I believe for a moment that if God were to come in the midst of their seeking that they would be lost? No, I don't believe that for a moment. Because why? They are carrying the umbrella of grace. The minute they put it down and seek other things, God's going to walk away. But I cannot say that they are lost because it's above my pay grade. Now, do I want them to complete their journey? Unequivocally, absolutely. Do I believe that's the perfect plan of salvation? Absolutely, unequivocally. Will I work? Why? Because I know that if they continue to seek Him, their faith will lead continued obedience, and obedience will always work out. It will always come to the fruition of the full promise of God. People that don't walk in the fullness of the gospel will always be stunted, not because the promise is bad, but because they gave up on their promise. They gave up on their willingness. Now, I say that, that can ruffle some feathers because, well, well, I think they're lost. Well, you're not God, and neither am I. And I can't say they're saved or lost or lost or saved. What I can say is that they are striving their very hardest based on what I see, observe. Now, I didn't tell her she was saved, but I didn't tell her she was lost. Because I'm not the one that saves her. And I'm not the one that judges her. By the word of God, we know that there were those that, look, you can take examples throughout the New Testament where people were seeking the disciples of John. They didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. Do you think in the moment of that, that God would have judged them according to the new covenant when they didn't even know it was available? 
The answer is no. Because they said, you are a believer. Have you received since you believed? So sometimes we get in this mindset that we have to complete this on human time frames, in human ways. When God is speaking to us and saying, listen, love people until they find the full. Because guess what? No matter what they do, if they talked in tongues, you would say, well, that's safe. But what if they just faked it to get rid of you so that you would leave them alone? Nobody's no. I don't know anybody that's ever done that. Do you? No, because salvation is so personal. It's so in-depth. It's so righteous, right? So am I, am I going to preach and teach and believe and talk and, and, and minister and teach Bible studies that you, you need to fulfill the completeness of your salvation? You must be born again of the water and the Spirit? Unequivocally, absolutely. But while people are in the process of salvation, I'm not going to say, well, eh, you screwed up. You're, you're going to hell in a handbasket, you know. No, that's not God's will. It's not his love. If he, if, if he didn't love us, I want you to think about how many times he's been merciful with you when you were in sin and you knew you were sin and it took you a little while to get back. Hello? Were you any more or less or, or, or more saved? It's not up to me. It's between you and God. But what I do know is that I'm going to tell you, you need to repent. You need to get back right with God, Right? Because that's the word of God. So obedience allows people to work out. The word work out is, look, look <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I want you to understand. When you work something out, it's a process. Work out your own salvation with fear and trouble. There's a great debate that goes on in preacher circles, and that is exactly when is the blood of Christ applied to someone's life? In other words, when are you absolutely saved? All right? Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we could just check all the boxes, right? We could hand them out and say, please answer this questionnaire. You're saved, you're saved, you're not, right? Paul didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. James didn't do that. Nobody did that, right? Why? Because they knew that every person was coming to Christ with their own issues, hangups, and habits. And they had to have mercy to be forgiven and grace to find the fullness of and understand obedience. Obedience is the absolute must. You must be born again of the water and the spirit. Jesus didn't mince words. But your must and my must may... I, I got the Holy Ghost and baptized when I was nine. Pink Homer didn't get it until he was 89. Does that mean he's more eligible than I or I'm more than eligible? No, we're saved by the same blood, the same name, the same Christ. We get the same reward, right? We get salvation. So in our lives, we must have grace for others. Please, uh, we talked about uh, Romans uh, 16 the other day. And uh, we were talking about the, what is the issue of Romans? And he's talking about don't judge. He uses food as the example. But he's saying if someone wants to eat vegetables, well, let them eat vegetables. They want to eat meat, let them eat meat. Leave them alone. Don't judge amongst yourselves. Over and over, Paul warns us about this. Why? Because if we're not careful, we'll want to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And in the category of salvation, in the category of anything for that matter, we must be careful. There is an absoluteness. Everybody say absolute. There is an absoluteness of the truth of God's word. We know that. We'll preach that, believe that, and talk that, and demand uh, that we obey it in our own lives. Right? Because 
you can't have true faith without obedience. But that obedience for Dan may be six months and it's only three minutes for Nan. You follow me? So we hear stories about people being delivered instantly from drugs or alcohol, right? And then we hear, we hear other people that struggle for years to continue to walk in Christ. Why? Because they're individuals and they are in the process of being made saved. Someone say amen. amen. So, for the promises unto you and your children, all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God, what? Will call. Will call. What, what that's, that becomes individual. He's calling you. You, you, you. And his timing is what? Perfect. And it's yea and amen. His promises are sure. Salvation is between you and your God based on the obedience from the word of God. Someone say amen. All right, so we know we must, the dues of the gospel. Here's the four, uh, and we're going to continue to talk about. The dues of the gospel, faith, believing the gospel, repentance of our sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know these are the four. In Acts 2, 38, these are the four commands. These are the four dues. What must we do to be saved, right? We know these are the four. These are the ones that we receive command about, we receive instruction about. So, this is not, I want to say this emphatically, but this is not a checklist. This is a process. I just got done explaining it. This is not a checklist. It's a process. Someone say amen. amen. Ephesians 2 and 8. Ephesians 2 and 8. I'm getting close. For by grace have you been saved through faith. By, for by what? Grace... I taught many, many weeks. I taught eight weeks about grace. I've spent a lot of time in this church talking about grace. Grace is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the scripture because people have misused it in the church world. They've used it for an excuse to sin. They've used it for excusing their lifestyles. They've used it in many ways. I'm going to tell you something. Paul never quit preaching the truth because people abused the word of God. When the sorcerer came and, and did all that he did and the woman followed and all that thing, they're trying to use the name of Jesus for their own gain. Paul didn't quit preaching the name of Jesus. He kept going. And that's what I as a pastor and us as a church must do. We cannot, we cannot preach to others' falsities or others. We can't pay attention to that. Let them settle up with God because I promise they're going to give an answer. Let's stay on the path that God's called us to, his word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. When I deserve to receive judgment, grace, when I'm pursuing God and he is allowing me to be pricked in my heart and I'm in the process of turning to him and getting the sin out of my life, he allows me to carry an umbrella that lets the sin flow around me instead of in me. And that is a powerful understanding that grace, grace has been given to us. It was the one thing that he purchased for us on Calvary that we must walk in in order to truly be saved, not by our works, but by his work. So, by, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of ourselves, for it is the what? Gift of God. So we know grace is a part of our sal salvation experience. It is a part of that whole doing. Grace is the umbrella that covers us while we discover what baptism really is. While we understand what repentance really does. While we in depth talk to God about our baptism and our covenant with him. Right? 
So it is that grace through faith that you're saved. Someone say amen. Amen. Oh, this is good. 2 Timothy 1 and 9. I'm going to quit here in a minute. 2 Timothy 1 and 9. God who has saved us. I put God in quotes, right? Because that's who they're referring to. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. How many believe we've been called to a holy calling, right? So we're called to something that's greater than us. There's only one thing that's holy. His name is Jesus, right? God is holy. We strive to holiness, but we'll never achieve it on our own. Only God is holy. But he has called us with a holy calling. So if we've been called with a holy calling, we might not be able to, in our own, produce the faith, understand everything we need to do, but he begins to call us unto holiness. He begins to call us to say, I've got more for you. I want to draw you in. So people that have pure hearts are seeking Christ, that have repented and working towards God, they have a call of God on their life to holiness. They are being wooed by the Holy Spirit. How many of us have prayed angels into the lives of those that we love, that he would prick their hearts, that he would speak to their minds? That's God's holy calling. Listen, not according to our works. It's very plain. This has nothing to do with how good you are or what you do. But according to his own what? Purpose. Somebody say, I have a purpose in God. God's purpose for Nate Nix is very different than the purpose for Nate Nix. Very different than the purpose for Carl Van. Why? Because we are very unique creatures in Christ. According to his own purpose and what? Grace. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before what? Time began. Oh, Daniel, this is powerful. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. My salvation in grace was assured before the world was spoken to existence. The lamb had already been prepared to save you and I on a cross called Calvary, a place called Golgotha. He made a plan of escape before he even said, let there be light. That's how big a deal this is what we're talking about salvation his own purpose and grace which was given to us before time began so the dues of the gospel faith believing the gospel repentance of our sins being baptized in jesus name receiving the gift of the holy spirit we're gonna we're gonna break those down today we're talking about faith we're gonna break those other three down and we're gonna walk into them very in depth because this is not something i want to just skim over because there's truth in everything that i could finish tonight and i've told you about as much as you need to know but it's not revelation it's knowledge it's just words I want God to plant it deep in your spirit so you can repeat it to others and tell the world about Jesus and your friends, your neighbors, your circle of influence. Someone say amen. Amen. Again, this is not a checklist. (laughs) Brother Wally likes that. It's a promise. Everybody say it's a promise. It's a process. It's something I'm working towards. It's something that Christ is working out in my life. Someone say amen. amen. So faith leads to obedience. Always. Everybody shout always. always. And I really am getting done. Faith leads to obedience. 
people that are walking in the faith of Christ, that believe the gospel, believe Jesus is who he says he is, believe and not, again, the word believe is an action word, begins to act upon that faith through obedience. Obedience is the result of faith. You cannot have faith without there becoming obedience. That's why I don't worry about people that are seeking God with an honest spirit in our heart, trying to find Him and truly seeking Him. Why? Because I know as they continue to have faith, obedience, God will convict. God will bring word to them. God will bring enlightenment. God will bring revelation. So I trust God in this, that God's going to help them. We can walk beside them as Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch. We can, we can give them words of wisdom and understanding by the word of God. But ultimately, we must let people work out their own salvation. The problem is, is that most people don't have their own salvation worked out. Mom worked it out. Grandpa worked it out. Their husband worked it out. Their mom worked it out. Their sister worked it. Somebody worked it out, but they didn't work it out. And when trials and tribulations come, they falter because they were never really convinced and believed in what they said they believed. They begin to question the very existence of God. They question their salvation, their uh, availability for grace. This is what it says in, in Romans 10, right? I, I, I decided just to read Romans 10 and 16 and 17, not the rest of Romans 10. I didn't want Carl to blow a gasket. Um, um, <laughs> Romans 10, Carl. Romans 10. Because <laughs> I don't have time to complete the explanation, so I didn't do that to you. Um, but um, my wife said, I said, man, I hope, I hope Brother Carl understands I'm, I'm going to. She goes, you, just admit it, you like, you like poking him. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, okay, a little bit. <laughs> I love this man. We have an amazing relationship, or at least on my part. Um, so anyway, uh, but, <laughs> but they have not all obeyed. This is what he says in verse 16, Romans. This is Paul. Now, if you read chapter 10, chapter 9, chapter 10, you're going to find that he's writing not to the Gentiles. He's writing specifically, this is my one desire that Israel would be saved. That's what he says. Did it quit? Uh, this is my one desire. This is what he says, that Israel would be saved. So he's speaking directly to the Israelites in Rome. He's talking to the house of Caesar, the Jews in house of Caesar. So... Um, but, he, but he says this here, uh, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. He laments, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing. He explains the reason they're not believing is because they don't have faith because they haven't heard. They may hear it, but they're not hearing it. And hearing by the word of God. A pastor that does not preach from the word of God is just a nice guy. He's a motivator. We got to speak the word of God. That is our command. Someone say amen. amen. Hebrews 5 and 9. I'm moving quick. And having been perfected. This is talking about Jesus. Paul writing in Hebrews. And having been perfected, he became the author of... Of what? Eternal salvation to all who obey him. Number one, it's not temporal. It's eternal. Number two, it's salvation. It's something you cannot get yourself. 
He must give it. Number three, you must obey him. You must obey him. Having been perfected, he's perfect in all ways. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He is the perfect name. He has the perfect everything to provide for our needs, but most importantly, to save us. Jesus came, I came to do one thing, to seek and to save them that are lost. He came for the house of Israel. But we must obey him in order to receive that eternal salvation. In Acts 4 and 12, I read this last week in close. And there is salvation. <laughs> and there is salvation in no one else. Ever shout no one else. no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we what? I can't hear you. What? Must, must be saved. Listen. There are some must. Nicodemus found this out. You must be born again of the water. There are some must. We must. We must be in obedience to the word of God. But that must, those must come in our own relationship with him. It doesn't mean we negate them or don't do them, but they come in the timing of God in our own lives. Someone say amen. amen. So next week, we'll talk about repentance of sin. Now, you would think that was going to be an easy one. Yeah. Repent, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us. No, I want to talk about repentance. We as the Western church have, in my opinion, failed to understand real repentance. Real repentance. The Lord convicted me a couple, uh, about a month ago now, about some, some just some spirits and attitudes and things that I've been harboring and things I've been dealing with in my own personal life and, and uh, some of the things, you know, some of the things my wife's been fighting, me being frustrated about it, etc. And God said to me, you need to repent. I was talking to somebody else and, and uh, another pastor friend of mine, really close, and he said, you know, the Lord's going to talk to me about it. He said, but I, I, I have been so quick to repent that I really don't think I've ever really repented. He said, so I, and I said, you know what, I, I'm feeling the same way. So we agreed that day that we were going to spend two weeks repenting about the same things. And for two weeks, I got on my face every day and repented. Did God hear me the first time? Someone say yes. yes. Did God forgive me the first time? Someone shout amen. But it's not just about God. It's about me turning my mind and my heart against those things that were sinful in his sight. It was about me having a contrite spirit. It was about me humbling myself before the Lord. It's not just about his promises are absolute. Sometimes we got to crucify this flesh enough that we remember from which we were brought the things God delivered us from. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about repentance. We're going to talk about the concept of repentance. We're going to talk about ways to repent. We're going to talk about the promise of repentance. What happens in forgiveness. Right? And we're going to talk about living therefore not in condemnation. Because there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Repentance with condemnation is not repentance. It's shelving that. It makes you feel better for a minute, but you never remove it from your spirit. It resides there. Repentance means to turn from, to remove. So the sin that does so easily beset us, the attitudes that we have, the, the, the hatred that we deal with, all those things. God's saying, I want you to turn from them, but you have to leave them. You can't hang out in the same park with them. You can't hang out in the same parking lot with them. you got to leave them. Turn. Someone say amen. We're going to talk about that. I'm excited. So join me next week. If you're online, man, I love you so much. 
I appreciate you joining us. I pray that you'll share this with a friend, a neighbor. God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you amazing and blessed peace. I hope to see you Sunday at 1035 a.m. God bless.